1: Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad free listening experience.
0: WaywardRadio.org slash ad free.
1: Thank you. Support for Away with Words is provided by Mosey Pro Online Backup. Mosey Pro protects your business's data with simple, secure, and affordable backup solutions. Find out more at mosey.com words. <laughs>
2: Welcome to another minicast from Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. Today we're talking to lexicographer Paul Dixon. Paul has recently published a brand new book called Drunk, the Definitive Drinker's Dictionary, but he's also known for his baseball dictionary and his dictionary of the space age. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Grant. Uh, I'm looking here. You've got more than 2,900 synonyms for tipsy drunk and so forth. Uh, how did you collect these?
3: The real reason I collected them, I guess that's really before the how, is I'd always wanted to be in the Guinness Book of World Records, and years ago I decided. I, w- I you know I started looking at it as a as a problem to be solved, and I at that time in order to get in there you had to do things like, you know, push a peanut across Iowa with your nose or eat a bicycle or something, which were actually things <laughs> that people had done. Right. And then I started looking at with the help of Fred Mish, I was of of Marion Webster. we were talking about it one day, and he said, "Why don't you look at language?" And I looked at language, and language was interesting or lexicography. Because uh, it had things like the longest acronym, and then there was a the, the word the word with the most meanings was s e t s set which the oed i think had one hundred and was one hundred and thirty seven different meanings down in verb, so I started looking at these things i said you know a, the, the one they don 't have here is synonym, and so I gravitated quickly I looked at other things like body parts, sexual acts um, you know, words for money, and looked at all the normal suspects. And it was really clear to me that drunk was the winner. And, and shortly after that, I, I started realizing that other people had done this. Benjamin Franklin had a list. Ambrose Bierce had a list. Uh, Edmund Wilson had a list. And uh, that even the early writers that Chaucer and Shakespeare euphemized uh, drunk to some degree with, with different terms. So I it was just a pleasure to sort of start looking for these things.
2: Yeah, I see here that you mentioned Langston Hughes also kept a list. Langston Hughes, yeah,
3: in the Chicago... He published one in the Chicago Defender. So it, it, was, it, it, it sort of goes with being a writer, because... I, and there are, there are others, too. I mean, Dickens did a short list in household words. And, and, and the idea was that at any given time in history, there are going to be clever new ways to euphemize drunkenness. I mean, up through and including one of the re- recent ones was Feng shui which was uh, from Feng Shui, meaning, the, you know, the, the furniture in your brain has been reorganized by, or re, you know, redesigned by liquor. Right. Um, and so it, it, was, it was just, I think, that writers did, was to come up with nice likes and uses. And a very serious guy like, you know, Edmund Wilson came up with list, and Edmund Wilson actually um, did them in, a, in, a, in sort of a scale, from tipsy to blotto, which uh-huh. he thought was the ultimate ultimate state of, of drunk.
2: Yeah, what is, the, what is the word that means that most means drunk? What is the one that is the highest level of severity?
3: I think the dead drunk, which actually is used in Shakespeare and others, and it goes way back. It's that state of inebriation where the, the difference between you and a dead person is is very small.
1: You've, right. you've
3: so totally uh, harmed yourself. And and part of the, the, the fun of this has been just the collecting of it because You'll be somebody will be reading Carl Hyassum, or they'll be reading John O'Hara, or they'll be reading so and so, and they'll call me up or send me an email and say, "Oh, I just found. You know, did you know that so and so used this term in in this book?" And and so a lot of it is that writers, because it's such a strange state. I mean, it's self-imposed, and it has different ways of expressing itself. I mean, some people are who overindulge are either mildly drunk, or they're they're belligerently drunk, or they're yeah. sort of mellow, and so. So it'll, it, it, there's a lot of room for sort of variation in the whole thing, and 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 the other thing that I always have to bring up because it was, I mean, while somebody will write an Amazon review saying, you know, you shouldn't go near this book because it's a celebration of drunkenness. It really isn't. I mean, it, 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 I wouldn't have done it if it was, it, because obviously drunkenness is a social ill, but it's really a celebration of English. It's it's the fact that English has these, uh, just this this extraordinary way of taking a a condition and giving you different words for it, the different phrases.
2: Yeah, I think anyone who actually looked at this list and it's a long list would find that most of these terms really have a high correlation to, to things that, as you put it, do damage to you, like terminated or, or thrashed or throttled. These are not necessarily nice, pleasant words. Right.
3: And even the cooking ones are stewed and fried and fricasséed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a. damage. you definitely wouldn't want it to the cabbage, you know? Let me ask you. Perhaps this is a little far afield. I've always been interested in "tight" as a word for drunk. It's something. It's fallen out of fashion. It's definitely nobody. I'd say under forty really uses that without a, an ironic wink or without being an author of historical literature. What happened to tight? Why do we? Why do we not I, I use don't know, that anymore?
3: Because would, there, some of them are contradictory. You also said, boy, he's just man's been pumped. Pump. You know, swallowing those beards—he's just as loose as a goose. You know, right? So it could be. I think it. I. I don't know. It just. It. it it'll probably come back. It's. It's. It, it, somebody will discover it. It'll show up in some modern piece of literature, and then it'll, it'll come back again. Uh, Fap was one from Shakespeare. That that one's probably gone forever. But, um, but but Shakespeare also talked about somebody, uh, you know, uh, you know, seeing the sun, mm-hmm. and and uh, you, know, you you know, the sun in his eyes. In other words. Somebody would come into some room late at night, and he'd be blinking, and as if he'd just, you know, seen the sun. And of course, he had just been drinking. So uh, I think these things come in cycles too.
2: Well, I've got I've got a list for you to make for your for your next book, or maybe your next edition of this one. And it's those terms that mean sober that are actually looked at in light of alcohol itself. Like one of my favorites is to mean sober is between drinks. Um, <laughs> so it's a smaller list maybe maybe not worth its own book but maybe an article but the, but there's certainly a alcohol is such an important part of the writing exercise or historically has been or has been characterized that way do you think that uh, do you think that's why there's such proliferation that in order to add color to your work you write about a thing which changes a person's nature so that you know there's your kind of it's a minor a plot engine I think so and I
3: think well there are there, there, I think there are there's that. I think that it's just the way you show off. That's the reason why somebody like Carl Hayasim and a lot of the people oh, who write yeah. about crime novels will use Robert B. Parker, will come up with clever ways of saying it. Just like there are clever ways of saying that somebody's a little bit off, you know, not, you know, a brick shy of a load or a taco short of a combination platter, right. which isn't, it's not the same as, you know, full blown mental illness. It's It's more of like a slight. Personality def- deficit of some sort, and no. or you know, bubble off a of plum in a reference right. to a carpenter's thing, ruler. I think the other thing you got to factor in here is that is that the call somebody drunk, especially in Britain, the law is pretty specific. That you that you you can be you can be held liable uh, liable that you, if you say someone you know so and so is drunk at a party day, So the British have come up with a huge sort of a list of euphemisms, like saying somebody that, the, the, the famous one from, I think it was, this Spy Magazine, which, called, uh, which was to say somebody was tired and emotional. Uh-huh. You know, and those sort of things. And I think we do that too, to some degree. I think when Benjamin Franklin composed his list, a lot of them, he did it with some degree of uh, despair, because a lot of them were just ways of sort of making it more polite, making it more acceptable, whereas somebody could be, you know, just being behaving wretchedly and being dirty and drunk and, you know, out of their mind. And somebody would call it, well, he's tipsy or something. And 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 it was a way of saying uh, that th- th- there's a euphemism here that's to some degree corrosive.
2: I have in front of me the third edition of your baseball dictionary, and this is a phenomenal work. This is the one that you're most known for, right? In baseball, this is the book that people turn to when they want to know about baseball language.
3: Yeah, no, it, it, it's been a lifetime obsession, and it's been a lot of fun. And the great thing about being a lexicographer or... Because, it, because you don't need a degree to be a lexicographer, by the way. No,
1: you know, no, no. If you look no. at some of
3: the great works, you know, Gove at, at Merriam-Webster and H.L. Mencken and others, they never had a you know, a PhD in lexicography. They were just... That's what they they became.
2: Yeah, and, curiosity and course, plus nobody, patience, well, right? Know,
3: Mencken's work is just still one of the finest things ever done in the American language.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so I... Picked up the ball. I just decided I wanted to become the the Noah Webster of, of baseball. It was a it was a it was a little bit of ego in it. That's why I put my name on it. But uh, it, it's it's just been a wonderfully exhilarating experience, and I'm getting you know even with the third edition out, which is four four point two pounds. It's a it's a monumentally large book, and it's put over ten thousand um, entries. I'm still getting letters and emails and every day from somebody's just heard a new term or a new statistical way of looking at baseball has emerged or you know I've getting a lot of letters actually from kids who are very interested in baseball and and go to the parks or listen on the radio and they'll they'll hear something new and I'll get a letter in the mail from somebody you know written on 3 wing binder paper in block letters saying you know Mr. Diction, you have forgotten my favorite term. Uh, I got one the other day that said that I'd forgotten foam finger. You know those monsters.
2: Oh sure, that. yeah.
3: But, but so it's so it's a lot of it's a it's it's as much fun as you're going to have is compiling a dictionary, especially one that you know you can keep revising over the course of your lifetime.
2: Yeah, and and like, know that there's always work there to be done, right?
3: Yeah, and it's all new. I mean, there's new. Uh, you know, I've I gotten a lot of notes lately for you know the new nickname for the new Yankee Stadium and. There's there's always something going on, Always a new method of analysis, and it's uh, and and the and the the other fun of it is there are new ways of looking at the 19th and 18th century for terminology with these databases and the search engines and the more and more of the historically important documents going online. So I'm um, you know the 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 scholarship is now wide open. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing, great thing about the dictionary was it, it's some degree built on the concept that you know. Of, of Tom Sawyer and the White Fence, where Tom Sawyer painting the fence and he's having such a good time that everybody else wants to paint the fence. So he ends up getting everybody else to work for him.
1: And then I literally
3: had over 300 people help me with the dictionary. People who signed on saying, "Boy, I'd like to help you—you know—work on the etymologies, work on the first usage, work on the—you know—the the, the way this book's going to come out." And and I probably have more PhDs working for the dictionary than most midwestern university, you know, big 10 universities. <laughs> A Couple hundred PhDs working for me on this thing.
2: Yeah, I I yeah, my name is in there somewhere, I admit. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, no, you know you're you're part of the you're part of the army. But you you you've been at this for quite a while. You got to start in lexicography what, some decades ago, right?
3: Yeah, no, I've I've written, I've written 55 books. I did I did a 55. I mean, I've always been a collector of language. I've always been in the time I was a kid, I loved just the idea of coming up with synonyms and, and, and learning something through the language. And, uh, you know, I remember one, many, many years ago, and I was just out of the service, and I got in a car, in a cab, with a cabbie who'd been a, uh, who'd been a carnival worker. He's an older guy. He must have been 70 years old, but he'd spent all his life in the carnival. And it was a long ride to the airport. And he, all of a sudden he started talking about carnival slang. And he had this term, which was hard flash. And hard flash was something that in a carnival that you a kid would spend all his money trying to win for his girlfriend. It, like it would be a, it would be like a gilded palomino horse with a clock in the side of it, or a mm-hmm. monstrous teddy bear. And this guy was talking about hard flash and that young guys in order to press their girlfriends would spend all their money on these things. <laughs> and I remember getting out of the cab and I said, man, that's a great term. And I started looking at things in terms of hard flash, meaning something that's sort of glitzy and worthless, but very appealing to me at the moment. And and it just became sort of my, my interest. You know, other people collected baseball cards and things growing up. I collected words. And I used to love to stump adults. I mean, even as a kid, I'd come up with some really strange name. Or I remember when I was a little kid, we we was we a we place in Connecticut, and there was a brook. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the name of the brook is a Neremiak, now who sank a And I took great glee in learning how to say that word. You know, it's a, I typed it on a little road sign, but it's a long, long Native American word. But uh, so that, yeah, I've done a lot with it, and I, and I love it. And it's and and it's infectious. I mean, the the idea that we really have and in 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 in, in, the, 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 in the English language is the use of language as recreation, right. And And the very impulses that drive us to crossword puzzles and Scrabble and all the rest of it also drives us to come up with lists of words for drunk and baseball dictionaries and such, is that sort of absolute fascination with this one tool we have, um, which 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 is so remarkable. In, in, in our case, uh, the English language, which is an Eldorado of of, of, of great material, as you know.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, Paul, Paul Dixon is the author of more than 50 books. His latest work is Drunk, the Definitive Drinker's Dictionary. Paul, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me today.
3: I really appreciate it, Grant.
2: You've been listening to a minicast from Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. You can find out more about our program at waywardradio.org, and you can send us an email to words at waywardradio.org with your language questions, or call us at any time, 1-877-929-9673. For Away With Words, I'm Grant Barrett.